Today we're in a series, we're finishing up, this is our last uh, message in the series called Surrounded, and we've been largely um, speaking from the foundation of Psalm 23, and, and so I want us to, uh, to corporately read this again. The, the, the idea, in my mind, was that we would, we would so much allow this to come into our heart that we would reclaim it for the hope that it produces. Because in the way that I see Psalm 23, we don't often read it this way, but it is a picture, an Old Testament picture of the New Testament gospel message. And I'm going to uh, explain that today, I believe. So if you could turn with me to Psalm 23, or it'll be on the screens, and you can read it with me. Let's just join together in the reading of this psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters, and he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God, that is, again, our prayer today. It's our prayer because of how good you are, that all that we do, it is for your name's sake, because of how good you are, how glorious you are. God, we believe this today, and we just we ask that you would continue to just build this foundation of hope in our hearts. We love you. We ask that you would just speak into our hearts today, that you would cast out the lies of the enemies around us. In Jesus' name, amen. The series Surrounded that we're in, it has, it has taken this shape of uh, largely... Uh, of, I mean, in a way, it, it's, it's been about believing the goodness of God instead of the enemy's lies, right? We have enemies that surround us all around our lives. Some of those enemies are, are physical people or, or physical things that stand in our way, whether it's sickness or, or, or difficulty in our bodies or, or it's even our friends in school, they, they claim to be our friends, or, or our friends at work, they claim to be our friends, and yet they aren't necessarily for us. We're surrounded all around us. Sometimes we're surrounded by the enemy of good, and, and he doesn't have to work really hard at, at just oppressing us like the days of old. Now he works through the lies that are in our own head. I'm not good enough. I'm not I'm not able to do that. I'm too weak. I've failed too many times. I'm gonna, I know I'm going to fail again. And so today, I want, to, I want to press into this, and I want to hopefully wrap it up in a way that, that leaves us stepping out into a much greater faith that the God who is for us is so much greater than those enemies that oppose us. So... Today, though, I've been starting from this foundation of Psalm 23. I want to enter into a, a different storyline. 
And the interesting thing about this story is this was when, when God put this vision for this message series on my heart many months ago. It was from the premise of this story. And as hard as I tried to, um, to lay the foundation of this storyline as the premise for this series, he kept pointing me back to Psalm 23. He, wouldn't, he really wouldn't let me go into this as the main foundation. No, he wants this to be the culmination of this series. So I'm really excited about it. Uh, turn with me to 2 Kings if you have your Bibles. Otherwise, it will be on the screens. Um, this is kind of a long a uh, long text. So if you just bear with me, I'm just going to read it. I believe the story itself uh, is, is good enough. I don't have to add anything. I don't have to unpack it for us. It's good enough. And so I want you just to listen and read along uh, silently in your heart. Now the king of Aram was at war with Israel. After conferring with his officers, he said, I will set up my camp in such and such a place. Now the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, beware of passing that place because the Arameans are going down there. So the king of Israel checked on the place indicated by the man of God, and time and again Elijah warned the king so that he was on his guard in such places. And this enraged the king of Aram, and he summoned his officers and demanded of them, will you not tell me which of us is on the side of the king of Israel? Well, none of us, my lord, the king said, one of his officers. Uh, but Elijah, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the very words you speak in your very own bedroom. Well, go find out where he is, the king ordered, so I can send men and capture him. And the report came back, well, he is in Dothan. And then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force. And there they went by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh, my Lord, what shall we do? The servant asked. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, O oh Lord, open his eyes so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. And as the enemy came down toward him, Elijah prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness that Elijah had asked. And Elijah told them, this is not the road and this is not the city, but follow me and I will lead you to the man you are looking for, and as he led them into Samaria." And after they entered the city, Elijah said, Lord, now open the eyes of these men so that they can see. And then the Lord opened their eyes, and they looked, and there they were, inside Samaria. And when the king of Israel saw them, he asked Elijah, Well, shall I now kill them, my, my father? Shall I kill them? No, do not kill them, he answered. Would you kill men you have captured with your own sword or bow? Set food and water before them so that they may eat and drink and then go back to their master. And so he prepared a great feast for them. And after they had finished eating and drinking, he sent them away, and they returned to their master. So the, hands, so the bands from Aram stopped raiding Israel's territory. That story, it's, it's really something. It's beautiful in my mind. 
And, and it's, it's easy for us to, to look at those forces around us, right? And I, I, I think sometimes the way that I want to capture this story is, is I see it as the tale of two different stories. Now, the storyline itself, it, it reads generally. You can't, you can't add to the story or take it away, but it's really the, the tale of two perspectives of the way that this story plays out. There's a number of characters in the story. There's Elijah, the man of God. There's his servant. There are the, the two kings, the king of Aram, the king of Israel. There are some officers. But I want to just pay special attention to the servant of the man of God to start. Because he, he sees as he gets up early in the morning, I don't know why he went out to get breakfast prepared, I don't know, but he went out early in the morning and saw all the hills around him were surrounded. They were surrounded on every side. And certainly he, he had this, this understanding in this point okay, my day is probably going to end here. My life will probably end here, and I won't see tomorrow. That's, that's his perspective. And he sees these, this enemy force, and it says they were a strong force, so you know that they surrounded the whole city, and they came in at night, so they probably had torches, and, 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 and it would have been a, a really intimidating sight. And I think to myself... There's a lot of us that have those intimidating sights in front of us. We see those difficulties. We see those mountains that stand in our way. We see those enemies that oppose us. We, we have things in our life that are easy for us to see. The problem is, is we like to think that those become our life. You see, the, the servant of the man of God, he, he very quickly jumped into this place of fear and this place of worry. And I, I know how much that relates to us as, as people generally. But he, he says to this man of God, what are we going to do? And you can, you can probably fill in the blanks what that, what that statement actually means, like, how are we going to survive this day? Surely they've come to kill us. Their numbers are great. And Elisha, the man of God, says, don't even worry about it. The numbers that are with us are much greater than the numbers that are with them. So this servant, he he wasn't the servant that we would think he was. You know, he often in Scripture, you know, when you hear the word servant or you hear the word slave, you think indentured servant or you think um, there is a debt that needs to be repaid and so they're forced to be this person's servant or, or they're forced to do this work or care for this person or they were raised up as a servant, you know. But this isn't like Downton Abbey. This isn't like... <laughs> This isn't like that. See, in that day, they, they actually, they were being schooled. They were being educated. And, and the way that, that he was a servant is, is he would be considered more like a mentee as Elijah would have been his mentor. 
There were multiple schools of faith in that day, schools uh, in, of the priesthood, and you would, be, you would be consecrated to the temple at a very young age and sent into the priesthood to be raised up as a priest. Or you would be sent into the, to a school of prophecy to be raised up as a prophet. So obviously, somewhere along the line, a family member or, or, or somebody that knew this servant saw a gift in him, a gift of prophecy in him, and said, okay, we need to put you in service to the Lord. We need to, we need to give you to, to God so that we can train you up in this amazing gift that he's given you. So he would have, he would have been there because he wanted to be there. He wanted to be near Elijah because Elijah was a highly educated. In fact, he was the prophet of Israel, the chief prophet of that day. And so to be a servant of this man would have been a, a high honor. But he came in as somebody who, who didn't understand who God was yet, who, who really didn't have this established faith yet. And so he, he would see the world through a very immature lens. And I say that delicately because I don't want to stand up here and say, you know, I, I don't see the world from an immature lens. I think we all see the world from an immature lens of faith. That's why I believe wholeheartedly that the servant is very clearly defined as a servant here, and yet this Elijah, this prophet, is clearly defined as the man of God. And I think it all has to do with how we see the world. This faith is meant to grow in us. It's meant to come into us and, and transform our hearts that in such a way that it changes our lives, it changes the outpouring of our lives, the output of our lives, but that comes through vision, that comes through eyesight, that comes through what we see. And if all we see are, are these hopeless things in our lives, if all we see are the enemies that are around us, then, then it's hard for us to, to see the things of this world. And I think it's a step from the natural the things of this world, to the supernatural, the things of God. I think that's one of the differences of faith. And so he prays for this servant to see with different eyes, to see the world from a different perspective. And as he's been able to now see, he's been given these new eyes. It's, it's not like he can't still see the enemy. It's not still that he can't see the the thing that's about to destroy his life, but no, he, he sees that the forces of good, the forces of God is an army that's actually surrounding the enemy itself. I want to take you forward to Psalm 23 again, and this is, again, like I said, it's, it's one of the most beautiful pictures of the New Testament gospel in the Old Testament, I believe it's, it's prophecy, is written in a way that, that could be seen as a lament. We talked, remember, in the very first message that, that sometimes we see these words and we automatically take them to the negative. 
we automatically take them to, to the, the difficulty part of it, right? We see the glass half empty. And we can very easily do that through the reading of this psalm. Why? Because of this one verse in the middle that acts as that, that hinge to tip us from beauty to, to difficulty or, or from, from freedom to bondage. This scripture is so progressive because it starts in this imagery of, of basically farm animals. And we've established that, that sheep are of the very few animals in the whole animal kingdom that, that many believe literally cannot survive on their own. They, they come into this world as a lamb and cannot survive as a lamb. Oftentimes, they, they even struggle to, to find sustenance and nourishment from their mom, and so the shepherd has to feed them. But then even as an adult... As a, as, a, as a full-grown sheep, they're prone to wander. They're prone to go astray. They're prone to find those holes in the ground and those crevices and those, those barbed wire fences. Well, maybe not back then, but you know what I'm saying, thorns and bristles and stuff like that. And so the imagery is, is given to us. David takes that image of a sheep, and he takes it on himself and that's, that's a beautiful thing. But what's amazing about this is that's not how, that's not how the psalm finishes. It starts in, in this imagery of an animal, but it, it shifts. It moves back to real people, back to you and me, back to David himself. And he's, the, the reason I believe that is because it's a picture of our faith. You see, sheep and their shepherd, it's a one-way relationship. Sheep don't add anything to the relationship to the shepherd. They have, they have nothing to give. If the shepherd isn't there, they don't survive. If the shepherd is there, the shepherd's life isn't any better. It's, it's that these sheep, they cannot add anything into this relationship. It is a shepherd-to-sheep relationship only. Isn't that a picture of how our faith starts? How we come to faith, how we believe, how we begin to understand who God is? There's nothing we can add into this relationship. There's nothing that we can give to God to add into our righteousness, to give to him. There's nothing he needs from us in this relationship, and that's how it begins, which is obvious in the language he uses because he is speaking to this God, this, this God that is good. He is good. It's all third person. He has done this. He will do this. And we only speak to, to people like that in, in relationships where we don't know them very well. We're not on a first name basis. And so we describe them as he or her. So I think David is painting a picture, a very clear picture, that when we step into this faith, we don't really know God all that well. We step in with this, with this understanding that we have nothing to give. We're, we're full of, of depravity and difficulty and, and trauma and struggle and despair and all of these things we have. This is, this is how I come to the table. 
It's nothing that I can add to my relationship with God. But then this thing turns on a dime with this, with this linchpin verse that says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because my faith begins to change. My faith begins to evolve. It begins to go from a place of immaturity to a place of maturity. And so now the only thing that tests that are these difficulties, are these struggles, are these, these, um, these views that we have of the world. And we say, even though, even though I see that enemy, even though I see this thing coming against me, even though I've experienced this in my past, even though I might lose my job in six months, even though the economy might turn down, even though I might get sick in the future, even though I still will have no fear. Why? Because... He is going to take me to green pastures? Well, yeah. Because he is going to lead me beside still waters? Well, yeah. No, it's because you, you, God. It's no longer a God that I don't know. It's a God that I am face to face with. You, I'm having now my conversation with you. It's not about him in that moment. It's about this man that is right here with me. In this cave, as I write this song of praise, even though I, f I have these enemy forces surrounding me, all around me, I will fear no evil. Why? Because my Savior is right here. My Savior is now my friend. He is now this man that I can know and, and trust in, not because he has done something in the past, although that's true. No, because he is right here with me. That's the, that's, the tr that's the transition that this takes. And yet, we are so quick to believe that we are always going to be sheep. We're not meant to always be sheep. Did you know that? That's going to that's gonna turn some, some long-time Christians around because we think we're sheep and we're meant to be sheep. No, we start as sheep. We start as sheep, and it's us as sheep that are lost. But when we become found, when we start to walk with our shepherd, we start to see that he is right here with us, and now there is nothing to fear. I don't have to keep going back to that history that I was raised up in. I don't have to keep going back to that trauma that I experienced. I don't have to keep going back to that place where I have to prove that I'm valuable. I don't have to do that because he, you, tell me right here in this relationship that I have. In the darkness, because I'm in a cave, because I fear for my life, I used to until he went from this God who I couldn't know to this God who entered this cave with me and I get to just sit with him and talk with him and be in love with him. This psalm proceeds to a table. You guys ever wonder what it is about this table? There are other places in the Old Testament where, where a table is used to symbolize something. 
It's almost always meant to symbolize a place of honor. And it's always set by God. God has prepared a table, which means he is the host of this table. He is the one who sits at the place of the host. But he has set this table for me to sit in the place right next to him, the highest place of honor at this table. It's interesting about this, though, because this table, it's also a place of reconciliation. It's a place where we have been given something. It's a place where, where he continually gives us something. Do you guys know many sheep that a table has been set for? I can't think of any. No, he doesn't set a table for a sheep. That wouldn't make sense. No, he sets a table for you. So that you can sit down in this place of honor where you can talk with him and, and trust him. And, and yes, he is giving you your fill. He is, he is giving you all that you need. And, and the beauty of this is it's about your soul being restored. He says that earlier. He says, and my, my soul is restored. Why? Because it's at this table that it happens. It's at this place of honor, this place where, where God says, I have everything you need. You have everything right at your fingertips. All you have to do is pick it up and eat of it this feast that is set for you, this, this place where this nourishment is given to you, where he will sustain your life. All you have to do is sit at this table and eat of the goodness of God. But there's another part to it because he also prepares this table in the presence of who? His enemies. Our enemies which means now this table is about reconciliation. This table is, is not just for, for you and the Lord, it's for you and the Lord and your enemy. So that you can sit at this table and you can look that enemy, whatever that enemy is, whatever that enemy has been for you, you can look that enemy right in the eye and say, at this table, you don't have power over me. At this table, you don't get to speak that lie over me. At this table, you don't, get to, you don't get to oppress me like you've been trying to do for so long. It's at this table that I can look this enemy in the face and move on with my life and step out of a place of bitterness and anger and fear and resentment and all of these things. And I can say, no, this is... Because of you, God, because you are with me, because I sit at a table with the creator of the universe, with the one who spoke life into existence with his tongue. I am here with you, and you have given me an opportunity to, to take the power away from those opposing forces immediately, immediately. But it's at this table. Here's the beautiful part. It gets better. 
It says, you anoint my head with oil. It's, it's described almost always in Scripture when we're talking about anointing with oil. It's, it's talking about this, this presence of the Holy Spirit now resting on that person who's been anointing, anointed. Now, we, we should be acting substantially different because we have been given this anointing that goes with us everywhere we go. The, the Holy Spirit, this anointing has come into us. It doesn't, just, it doesn't just rest over us like it did in the Old Testament. We've moved now to the New Testament because the blood of Jesus Christ, that, that Holy Spirit now rests in us and we walk with that anointing. There's also another symbol that this has been given, in, in maybe less of a symbol, but it's also been known to been used on the head of a sheep, this oil. When you talk about anointing a sheep, you're, you're talking about one of two things. A, when you cover a sheep's head with oil, it allows them to uh, not get so tangled up in thorns and bristles. It'll, it keeps bugs off of them. It keeps bugs from getting in their eyeballs and in their nostrils and doing different things. It's kind of gross. But, but ultimately, that's one of the things they do. But it's not talking about either of those. This is the one place, as far as I know, in all of Scripture where in the original language it doesn't mean anything to do with the Holy Spirit here. It doesn't mean anything to do with, with consecrating a sheep in oil either. No, it's in the original language, it means to be fattened or to be made whole. It means to be restored. It means to be filled. Which, in my mind, is probably one of the beautiful, most beautiful pictures that I've ever seen because God prepares this table for me to be anointed at, to, to sit at with the king of the world, the king of the universe, the king of heaven. I get to sit at this table and be anointed. I get to be made whole. I get to be fattened for the glory of God. Every single day I sit at this table, it is so that I would have this restoration in my heart, which then leads to this, my cup runneth over. Right? We're still talking in, in human terms. We're not talking about sheep. We're talking about you and me physically as people who can step into this place with God to sit down at a table, to be anointed, to be fattened, to be made whole. Why? So I can look at my enemies in the face and I can say, you have nothing over me anymore because I have everything that I need I have been given everything I need. I've been made whole. I've been reconciled to God. I have been made righteous. Nothing I can do there, but he continues to make me righteous. Why? So now I can be the reconciler in this world. I can be the one that speaks to that enemy that is opposing me. Because if it's not me, who's it going to be? Who's it going to be who who? declares to them, even though they have put me down my whole life, even though they have oppressed me, even though they have caused me scars, even though they have caused me to have PTSD, for whatever reason, if it isn't for me, who is going to be the one to invite them to the table, to continue showing them what it is to be reconciled by God? 
That's for you. But how do we do that if we're sheep? See, we're not meant to stay sheep. We're meant to be a reconciler of the world. We're meant to be an agent. We're meant to be a person who lives in such a place of victory and freedom that I can go to love my enemy. That's who we are. That's the anointing that we're supposed to step into. So back to the original story. The servant of the man of God. He's been given an anointing. He's been given a gift of prophecy. He's been given a gift, whatever it is. Each and every one of you in this room, we've been given gifts from the Holy Spirit. You have been anointed. We just need to step into it. We need to go from a place of immature faith to a place of mature faith. What is that? It's about seeing reality, not just seeing the enemies that oppose us. It's not about seeing those enemies that are surrounding us. It's about seeing beyond them. It's about transcending those things in life. It's about walking through those difficulties and saying, you know what, on the other side, I have a God who is fighting for me. I may think that I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by God. I might think that, that I need to be afraid for my life, but I don't because God has turned me into a soldier. He has turned me into a victor. He has turned me into one of God. That's the point. We're meant to go from servants to men of God ourselves, to women of God ourselves, so that we can be the Elijahs of the world. We can be the ones to bring about reconciliation to this world. It's not just about us being free for the sake of being free. It's about us being free so that we can go and reclaim this entire world for the kingdom of God. Because otherwise, what is the point? Because otherwise, I would rather him just take me now. No, there are people out there that are dying. There are people out there that don't know their value. There are people in our schools that think that they shouldn't live anymore. There are people around us that think that they don't need to live anymore because they have nothing to give. God wants them so bad. And the only way he's going to be able to do that is through you and it's through me. But if we constantly live this life in fear, thinking that it's a, this enemy is going to get me, this enemy is opposing me, this enemy is going to destroy my life, you know what? We're going to walk through some difficult things. We're going to walk through some tragedies in our lives. But it's how we come out on the other side. It's what we look like within those tragedies, within those difficulties, within those moments where everybody else in the world should be in despair and should be sad and should be glum. It's us. We are the ones that are going to break open and, and push that darkness back because when we walk into a room, I don't care what, how dark it is when we walk in, when we walk out, it should be as bright as day. Because we are the message now of reconciliation. We are the light of the world. We, you, me, 
We can write a song of praise from a cave because our king, he's here. He's right here. He's with us everywhere we go. So we walk in victory. That's what it is to, to grow in, in mature faith is to understand that everything God wants to do in your life, he has already given to you. We just have to have different eyes to see it. We just have to step into a different reality. Doesn't mean that the enemies go away. Doesn't mean that the troubles go away. It means we have a different eyesight. So that when we step into those difficulties, when we step into those tragedies, when we see those people that are hurting, we have a different perspective because we are now men and women of God. That's who we are. So you might think that you're sheep. It's okay if you start there. It's okay if you start there. That's how we all start. But we're meant to grow out of that. We're meant to become a, a human being that sits at a table that has been so filled by God that we don't want any part of what the world tells us. We only want the, the voice of the one sitting at the table with us. God, I thank you for this day. I thank you for each and every one here. I thank you that we have been given such a gift in this anointing. Lord, I thank you for what we're about to do next. And I ask, God, that you, that you would do a work in our hearts. Would you do that here today, God? Would you show us that you are right here with us? Would you speak into our heart? Would you speak into our soul, Lord? Would you begin restoring our soul so that we could be used, so that this one-way relationship begins to become a two-way relationship, so that we begin to have something to give. We begin to have something to offer, and we offer it to you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. So today I'm going to invite you to a real table. And I want you to, as you come up, we're going we're gonna, to like stand in a minute and you know, the first row will come into the center and, and then the second row and so on and so forth. You'll all come forward and you'll come to your side and you'll take the bread. And I'd ask that you, you pick up the bread, you take it, you dip it in the juice, we use juice, and, and you take it right there. There's a gluten-free option here in the middle if you need that. When God, or when Jesus invited his disciples into this upper room, this was the day before uh, he, was, he was unjustly murdered. And yet, he says very clearly, no one takes his life from him. He lays it down. That's what we're called to do. 
is lay our life down. You see, there's, there's, there is no victim there. That's a hard thing to, to, to grasp because we are really good at playing the victim. But we've been given this gift of Christ in our life, and he never played the victim. He said, you, don't, you, you are my enemy, you oppose me, but you can't take my life from me. I give it on my own accord. So when you take this bread that he raised up and he gave thanks to God and he said, it's this bread that is broken for you. You see, it's broken. He was broken so that you would be restored. So that you could walk in healing. So that you can walk in righteousness. That's why his body was broken. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take it and eat in remembrance of me. And then he lifted the wine and he said, this wine represents my blood which was spilled for you, which was shed for you for the forgiveness of sins for many. That alone says you are welcome at this table. This table where you can be filled where you can be given this new life and you can walk in this new life. So would you come forward, please, to the table and take this goodness that is God. Be filled so that you can go into the world and begin restoring others that need it so desperately. In Jesus' name. What most of us would think is the right thing to do is to destroy that enemy. But God invites them to the table. And Elijah says, no, don't, don't kill them. But, but give them what they need. Give them the water, the food. And, and it says they prepared a great feast for them. And the, the bands of Aram stopped warring against Israel. Like that is... That is what God has for us, is reconciliation, it's peace, it's freedom, and it's love for those that are so difficult to love. But we have to see it. And our greatest weapon is praise. I don't want you to leave here ever thinking that you can't praise God in the current state you're in. You can always, always turn to God. Go in peace and freedom. In Jesus' name.